Uh, I want to thank um, Brian and Brett tonight for teaching the, the, uh, the teen class, the summer class. And uh, How many of you teenagers were here tonight for the class? Raise your hand. And praise the Lord, we had a lot of teens. Mr. Andrews became an official teenager again and was in Brian's class. And if you have a teenager, I, I really, really encourage you to get your children here. They have four more of these sessions every other Sunday at 5 o'clock. And I encourage you to have your children here to hear what these fine adults have to say to them. And I think uh, you, could, you could do nothing better for your children than have them sit in front of godly people who will give them what the Lord has laid on their heart. So, having said that, uh, as I preach this message tonight, I want everyone to know that I do not suppose to have attained in everything that I'm going to discuss. Uh, I'm not going to preach anything new tonight, but I'm pretty sure that before the night is over, I'm going to step on a few toes. So I apologize already, and uh, so if I step on your toes tonight, don't get angry with me. Uh, In my observations over the past 27 years in the ministry, I've seen this particular issue I'm going to discuss tonight become an ever-increasing problem in the churches across our nation, especially in our modern-day fundamental Baptist churches. And I am convinced that if we do not change this before too many more generations we will not find many churches left in America that preach true doctrine. Uh, This is a story tonight of religion based upon and built upon pride, hatred, greed, deceit, arrogance, and strife. It is a story that both exposes the depravity of man and exalts the righteousness of God. And each of us tonight will fall into the mix at some point. So let us stand together, if we would, please turn your Bibles to John chapter 8, and we're going to read tonight from John chapter 8, beginning at verse 1, and we'll read through verse 11. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst... They say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you... Let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time we have together. What a great privilege it is to be a member of your church. And Lord, as the pastor mentioned just a few moments ago, it grieves me in my heart to think that people would not avail themselves to the preaching of your word, to the fellowship of your people, and just to be here to praise and worship you. 
Now, I pray you would take the time that we will spend tonight and that your Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts and minds, that we will be edified by what we hear, and that Christ will be exalted and magnified in everything. And this is the purpose we have tonight. And we ask that you would fulfill that purpose in our hearts. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We see a story here. We see a a group of Pharisees, a group of, of religious people who have found this woman, they say, taken in the very act of adultery, and they have brought her before the Lord to accuse her. And they come before the Lord and they say, Moses says this, what do you say? And we see a very interesting reaction by the Lord. Tonight, I would like to look at at two things. I have two thoughts tonight. I would like to first look at the depravity of man and see that which the extent that men will go to to further their own agenda and to, to, to exalt themselves and to lift themselves above all that is holy. And then tonight I would also like to look at a part of this story which exalts the righteousness of God and the justice and the equitableness of God. So tonight, let's look at this story, beginning with point number one, and I'd like to look at the malignity of the mob. We just read a moment ago in John chapter 8, beginning at verse 3. We read, and it says, And the scribes and Pharisees uh, brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what saith thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. This mob that we see here that brought this woman before Jesus, they had, a, they had an agenda, and that agenda was to entrap Jesus. They attempted to ensnare him by his words or his actions, or by the lack thereof. They hated him, and they sought to bring evil upon him. Notice in the, in the scriptures we read that they challenged him by asserting the law of Moses. In verse 5, they said, Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? It's, it's important to note here that Satan always uses scripture in his attempts to fight against us. We see this in Satan's temptation of Eve in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. We read, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And here we see he takes, he takes the words of God and, and attempts to use those words to entrap and to tempt Eve. The Lord himself endured temptation from Satan by the word of God. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 6, we read, And saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Of course, he always misquotes the scriptures that he's using, or he uses them out of context. And in principle, this is exactly what these men are doing here in this story we just read. These men did not care about the law. 
They did not care about righteousness. They did not care about this woman that they had brought before Christ. They could care less whether or not she was guilty of any sin. And they would feel no regret at the occasion of her stoning. Furthermore, it is obvious from the actions taken by these men that they were not interested in truth either. My first question would be, if you are so interested in truth and justice and righteousness, where is the man taken with her? You notice they only brought the woman. They didn't bring the man. If she was taken in the very act, obviously they knew who the man was. And both should have been brought. If they were interested in truth and justice, wouldn't it seem logical that both would have been brought before the Lord? How often did these same Pharisees seek out men who were willing to bear false witness against Jesus in their efforts to destroy him? This was all done in a spirit of hatred. We must remember that there is both the letter of the law and the intent of the law. Let's consider speed limits for a moment. Why do we have speed limits? Is it to control speed or is it to protect drivers? The letter of the law states that you may not exceed 35 miles per hour while driving down Ronard Park Expressway. They say confession is good for the soul. How many of you have ever broken that law? Raise your hand. Amen. I'm guilty. Now, it can be very easy to stop at the application of the letter of the law and control speed. But is that the intent? To simply reduce speed. If the intent is to reduce speed, then why don't they build cars that cannot speed? However, the intent of the law is to protect you and to protect other drivers, and to protect pedestrians as they travel down the same roadway. This is perhaps while a policeman following you, if you're doing 40 or 45, and the the road is not heavily uh, traveled, he may not pull you over because the intent of the law is being satisfied. And there is a, there is a, uh, we must remember, there is a letter of the law and there is an intent of the law. Now let us go back to this mob for a moment. The letter of the law stated that a man and woman taken in adultery were to be stoned to death. The intent of the law, however, and its application was to invoke a holy fear of the Lord, obedience and morality on the part of the children of God. The intent was not to make us Lord over God's people or to become judge, jury, and executioner. And Jesus knew and understand this was the motive of these men. He knew that in their hearts they were not seeking to satisfy justice. They were not seeking to glorify the Lord in this application. He knew in their hearts they were seeking to to exalt themselves. He knew that it was in their self-righteous pride and hatred that they brought this woman before him for condemnation. It was with the intention of forcing him to either condemn her to death and thereby contradicting his message of love and forgiveness, or else to force him to reject the law of Moses, and thereby declare him a heretic and blasphemous before the people. Their intention was not to bring admonition to the people. It was to further and promote their own wicked agenda. And such is the intention of our enemies today, our enemies being the world, the flesh, and the devil. Oh yes, we must remember, the world hated Jesus, and they will certainly hate us as well. 
Jesus tells us in John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. And just as did the Pharisees in Jesus' day, our enemies today misquote Scripture or use it out of context in an attempt to destroy our faith to drive Christianity out of our nation. But this tonight I expect. I am neither surprised nor shocked by what is happening around us today. At 5 p.m. on Monday, June 16th, same-sex marriages became legal in California. In October of 2007, Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger signed into law Senate Bill 777, which mandates that all public schools rewrite their textbooks to teach homosexuality, transgender sexuality, and cross-dressing as alternate lifestyles. And all the while, God, the Bible, and prayer are banned from the textbooks and from the classrooms. But this does not surprise me. This does not trouble me. This does not shock me tonight. Have you ever been bothered by a fly? How many of you have ever been bothered, pestered by a fly? It's very annoying, isn't it? That fly just buzzing around your face. If you remember, I actually was leading singing one night, and a fly passed by as I inhaled a deep breath, and I consumed that fly. Flies bother me, and they're annoying, but it does not destroy my life. A fly will not bring my life to an end. I go on living, despite the bothersome fly. And the mischief of this world and the malignity of this mob and its children may annoy me, it may bother me, but it cannot move me off my course. It cannot change that which God has purposed and ordained for me. Jesus in John chapter 15 and verse 16 states, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of, my, of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Now don't get me wrong, I am not saying that I will always sail on calm seas. I am not saying tonight that these things will not affect us at all. They will change many things. And they will cause us much grief and sorrow. Yet, they cannot and will not touch me in any way that my sovereign God does not permit. Oh yes, we must remember tonight that God is aware of all things that transpire in our life. He is aware of them long before they happen. And He has already prepared our paths. In Psalms 37, verses 23 and 24, we read, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Do you think that on June, whatever it is, June 16th, do you think that the Lord suddenly said, Oh no, they're going to have homosexual marriages in California? Who dropped the ball here? Who wasn't paying attention? Who wasn't at what? Don't you think the Lord already knew that was going to happen? 
The Lord is not caught by surprise by man's actions. Jesus was not caught by surprise by this mob. He already knew they were on their way. He, already, he was prepared for their attack. I must walk the path that God has laid for me in faith and confidence. If it be God's will that we face a battle, then so be it. But let us face that battle with faith and confidence. Let us contend for the faith with courage and boldness. But let us keep all things in perspective. Let us keep our eyes on our Lord. Jesus was too smart for this mob. He did not let them trouble him. He did not let them shake him up and cause him to lose his faith. And all that this world can throw at me today cannot separate me from the love of God. They cannot rob me of my joy, of my peace, nor of my hope. In John chapter 14 and verse 27, the Lord states, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Do you see those words that our Lord spoke to us? Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Tonight, no matter what the world, our enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, no matter what they may hurl at us, we do not need to fear, and we do not need to experience anxiety over any of these things. For in John chapter 16 and verse 33, the Lord states, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, Christians who do not understand the sovereignty of God do not understand this truth. They have a misconception of God and his supreme control of all things. Therefore, they cannot find peace in these troubles that we face today because they do not understand that God is in control. With their mouth, they declare faith in God, but with their actions, they deny his sovereignty. They mouth these words, but they do not abide in their heart. Yet I tonight can state along with the Apostle Paul with full confidence, as he, as he states in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Let the heathen rage and, and sin in the face of God. Let the liberals compromise and give away our liberties today. Let the atheists deny God and remove him from our society. But I'll remember what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Oh yes, Christian. Despite the malignity of the mob, we live with faith. And we live with hope. And we live with courage tonight. Tonight I'm not worried about the cost of gas. For my God shall supply all my needs through Christ Jesus. I'm not worried tonight about homosexual marriages. Because God himself will take his vengeance. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. I'm not worried tonight about the condition of public education or our corrupt politicians. These things do not give me unrest. They do not cause me to lose sleep. They do not cause me to fear and face anxiety. 
And I won't worry about them tomorrow either. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, please. Matthew chapter 6. We'll begin reading at verse 25. I said, I'm not going to worry about these things today, and I'm not going to worry about them tomorrow. For beginning in verse 25, the Lord states, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life. What shall ye eat, or what shall ye drink? Nor yet for your body, what shall ye put on? Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Uh, Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe ye, you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? And can I add to that, how am I going to pay for gas? And, and what's going to happen to my children and their schooling and all these other things? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought of the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. We don't need to fret and worry today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, for our Father is faithful unto his children, and he will supply all of our needs, and he will guard us and watch over us as his children. I, and this we can do, this faith and confidence we can have today, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. This malignity of the mob serves to affirm the depraved nature of man. It serves to confirm human nature as sinful and wicked. So tonight, let us stop living with anxiety and fear. Let us live by faith and with confidence in God. But not only do I want us tonight to see the malignity of the mob, but next I want us to see the message of the Master. If we go back to John chapter 8, In verses 7 through 9. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. We see here the message of the master. And and in this message I see something very interesting. These Pharisees are standing before the Lord with this one who, was, who has broken the law. Adultery was and is a serious matter, one sternly addressed in Scripture. In Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 10, we read, And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Now, I need your attention here so no one misquotes me or gets confused. The Mosaic law clearly pronounces judgment upon this transgression. And that judgment calls for a very severe penalty. 
So it would seem that the Pharisees were just in calling out this woman and demanding that the law of God be satisfied. So Jesus' actions and words at this point are of very great interest. They are presumably going to set the benchmark for everyone. Will he condemn her with them? Or will he deny the law and make concessions for her? Now, in, in addressing this point, there are two things I want to say here. First is this. Jesus did not repeal the penalty called for by the law. We do not find him here repealing the penalty. He did not declare the law of Moses to be void. He did not declare it to be wrong or even excessive. Often in Scripture, we find the Pharisees citing the law of Moses to justify their ignorance in God's laws. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 7 and 8, we read, They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. Jesus understood the intent of the law since he was the author of the law. And he understood, as we stated earlier, this law was intended to edify the children of God. And he knew the hearts of these men and knew that it was for their hatred that they brought this woman before him. And in this, he was not a willing part. Yet we do not find him denying the law. He did not declare these men to be in error in their interpretation of the law. He did not restate the law to mean something other than it is. He did not change the law to fit the situation. And Jesus clearly stated in Scripture that this was not his purpose at this time. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, we read, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. But this is exactly what we see today. We see men repealing the word of God. They alter its meaning. They change it to state what they want it to state. They, they, just as these Pharisees did, hold to the letter of the law and deny the intent of the law if it will serve their purposes. And when it won't serve their purposes, they change it to say what they want it to say. There's an old cliche, but one that is certainly applicable. Men don't need to rewrite the Bible. They just need to reread it. And Jesus didn't repeal the law of Moses. But I also want us to notice that second... Jesus did not condone her behavior. So he didn't repeal the law. He didn't, he didn't tell these Pharisees Moses was wrong. This is not the way the law should be. He didn't repeal the law. But at the same time, he did not condone her behavior. He did not attempt to justify her. He did not make excuses for this sin. He did not say, well, God made her that way, so we just need to accept her as she is. Jesus would never condone sin in our lives. He would never excuse away such behavior. Now, it would be easy for someone to misinterpret the Lord's action here. It would be easy for one to take this to imply that Jesus was overlooking the sin of this woman. And many do that very thing today. But this is not the message being sent by the Lord in this. 
The Lord didn't say, well, she made a mistake, so let's just give her a break. Let's just give her a second chance. But he also didn't say, take her over there and stone her to death. But why didn't he? If the law was broken and the penalty required, why didn't Jesus command them to fulfill the law? And primarily that reason is because Jesus at this time did not come to condemn. He came to save. He states in John chapter 3 and verse 17, For God sent his son into the world to con- sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world uh, through him might be saved. You see, Jesus was fulfilling the role of the substitute. He was a preacher of righteousness, and as such was not the judge of this world. In this I see a message. I see an example to you and I. And that message is that we are not here to judge one another. Rather, we are here to help one another. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, we read, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, take him out back in the parking lot and stone him to death. doesn't say that. It says, Restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And this is the very same attitude Christ had while dealing with this matter. He didn't bolster up in pride, as these Pharisees did, and become the great judge of all, although that was his prerogative. He filled the role of a brother and sought to restore this one. If we are to judge anyone, let us judge ourselves. For it is certain that we are not competent to judge anyone other than ourselves. These Pharisees were not competent to judge this woman for two simple reasons. First, because they were filled with iniquity themselves. We read again in John chapter 8 and verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Consider these words of our Savior in Matthew chapter 7. Verses 1 through 5, we read, Judge not, that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. What a statement. Basically, Jesus was telling these men, if you have no sin in your life, then go ahead and pass judgment upon this woman. However, if you do not have sin, if you do have sin, go confess your own sin and seek mercy from the Lord. How can we that need mercy and forgiveness ourselves impart justice? I am not qualified to judge you tonight, and I do not pass judgment upon any man. I am preaching from the Word of God tonight. I am sharing with you tonight the truth that the Holy Spirit of God has taught me from Holy Scripture. I am not qualified to judge anyone, and these men were not qualified to pass judgment either. And Jesus, working in the same way that we must work, even though he was qualified to pass judgment, did not do so either. So let us stop judging one another, and let us start helping one another. Then these Pharisees were not competent to judge this woman, because secondly, they did not know her heart. 
There's an old Indian proverb that states, do not judge a man until you have walked a mile in his moccasins. And this is exactly the lesson here. What is the commandment of the Lord? In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, we read, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. We are not here to judge. We are here to love, help, and forgive. These men were not qualified to judge this woman. Instead, they should have been seeking to restore her into fellowship. They should have been seeking to forgive her. We have no indication from this story that they made that attempt. In fact, we know that this judgment was passed immediately, for in verse 4 of John chapter 8, we read, They say unto her master, This woman was taken in, the, in adultery in the very act. These men did not know if this woman was penitent or not. They did not give her a chance to express her sorrow or regret. They assumed an authority they were not qualified to have. And this is so very prevalent in our churches in America today. I'm amazed at how quickly Christians want the acts of justice to fall when it needs to fall on someone else. Our churches in America are completely looking the other way and ignoring sin completely. You see, don't get me wrong. That's why I said earlier, pay attention to what I'm going to say because I need to qualify my statements. I believe in church discipline. I believe that the church collectively as a body has a mandate to administer justice in the name of God. And I believe that when a church council comes together and calls a member before it for, for the sake of discipline, I believe that council has authority. And I believe that there is a mandate for the church to do so. But you and I as individuals need to be careful with this because we're not here to judge each other. We're here to, to be a help to each other. We're here to, to, to restore those that fall in a spirit of meekness. Now, granted, there will be some that will not seek re- repentance, that will not seek to be restored. And in that case, the church acts as, 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 a, as a body of believers and imputes justice, and such it should. But I, I propose to you here that what we see taking place in this story is not discipline. In Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 2, we read, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondered the hearts. Jesus was not here at that moment to judge this woman. However, if he were, I believe he still would have forgiven her because he knew her heart. And and he knew in her heart was remorse and repentance. Here we see the grace of God, the grace to forgive, the grace to cleanse, the grace to heal. What a beautiful picture we see in this story of God's election and grace. This woman did nothing to deserve or earn forgiveness and grace, yet Jesus freely bestowed it upon her. The message of the Master is simply this. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. And then we see an admonition from the Lord to this woman. For in John chapter 8 and verse 11, she said, No man, Lord, and Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And we see the admonition of the Lord. 
Now, let me bring this home to where we live tonight. (coughs) We have become so busy, and we have become so wrapped up in the cares and concerns of life. All the issues that we discussed earlier have caused us as Christians to lose our joy, to lose our hope, to lose our confidence. We live as those, in many cases, we live as those who have no God. We have made poor decisions which have enslaved us to this world. We have failed to fellowship with God and have grown cold and unconcerned with spiritual things. We have begun to cast judgments upon those around us. We become bitter and angry with our church, bitter and angry with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have lost our faith. We have lost our courage. We have lost our zeal for the Lord. And across America tonight, there are, there are defeated and beaten Christians. But how do, we, how do we fix this? What do we do? In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, and verse 14, we read, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. What do we do? How do we fix this tonight in our hearts and minds? Well, let me say first, humble yourself. Wake up and see where you are. Admit your faults to God and be cleansed today. Humble yourself in the presence of Almighty God. It's time that we, as Americans, as pastor preached this morning... I love that, that verse he put up on the screen where Paul says, uh, you, you have anything you have, you receive from the Lord. So why are you bragging about what you have as if you didn't receive it at all? Oh, we, you know what? We become fat and sassy in America. We're a bunch of greedy hogs. That's what we are. We want, we want, we want, we want, we want. You know, America, we've spent ourselves into debt. Our children and our grandchildren and our, our great-grandchildren are going to be paying for the debt that, that we as greedy Americans have built and, and someday has to come crashing down. And it's time that we as Christians today humble ourselves God and realize that absolutely nothing we have is of ours. It all comes from God. Someone told me this morning that the discussion in the forum class was, why does God let bad things happen? Let me ask you a better question. Why did God let anything good happen to us to begin with? Job said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If you're about to lose your house, praise the Lord you had it for as long as you did. If someone in your family has passed away, praise the Lord for the years he gave you with them. And thank God for the promise that we'll see them again. We need to humble ourselves before God and stop saying, God, why did you? And say, God, why should you? Humble ourselves. What can we do? Secondly, pray and seek God. Pray and seek God. Every married man in this room understands this point, whether you know it or not. Uh, Have you ever had your wife mad at you? Married men, raise your hand if you've ever had your wife mad at you. You crawl on glass, don't you, to to get back on good terms with her? Huh? Come home with flowers. Hi, honey. How you doing? Oh, yeah, we all, men, we understand this point. Women don't understand this point as well because 
they just stop talking to us and we, we just start going crazy. You know, we've sinned against a righteous God. And it's time that we as Christians in America come to God and say, Father, please forgive me. I've, I've, I've messed it up. I've, I've made a mistake. Seek, the, seek God. Cry unto him. Beg him to forgive us. Beg him to, to, to give us, restore to us the joy and the peace that we need in our hearts today. Pray and seek God. What do we do? Number three, turn away from the things of the world, the entertainment of the world, the materialism of the world. Turn to the things of God and serve him. Oh, we need to repent. So often we'll come to a church service. We'll hear preaching. We get convicted in our hearts and we say, that's what I need to do. But then we walk out the door and we go right back to doing what we did before we came. The word of God changes us. It alters us. And we need to we need to repent of those things in our lives that we know are wrong. I've told our teenagers, God does not understand when we sin. He does not understand when we do wrong. So often I've heard Christians say, well, I wasn't in church today, but God understands. I'm sorry, he doesn't. He does not understand. He gave everything. He gave all to us. He withheld nothing, yet we hold so much back from him. And it's time that we repent truly in our hearts and minds in our, in our nation today, and we give everything we have to the Lord. It's time that we repent. You see, I, 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 I fear a revival won't come to America today because America won't repent. America won't give up all of their pet sins, all of the sins that so easily beset them. Oh, we want peace and joy and happiness, but we're not willing to pay the price for it. Humble yourself. Pray and seek God. Repent. Then God says, I will hear. Then I will forgive sin. Then I will heal your land. Letters in the sand. I can almost imagine the words Christ wrote in the sand as the Pharisees stood and in their hatred and in their arrogance accused this woman as they stood and demanded justice. I could almost see the words that he may have written, words like hypocrites, murderers, liars, extortioners, rebellious, disobedient. What about you and I tonight? Have we become like these Pharisees? Then let us hear the message of the Master tonight, one of love, that we're to love one another and seek to help and encourage those around us, not to cast judgments and, and to, to, to accuse one another, but in kindness to love one another and esteem others better than ourselves. In this, the love of God is perfected in our hearts, and in this, all men will know that we are his disciples. You know what we do in America? We spend too much time trying to please the Lord. Now, don't, don't misunderstand that statement. I told our teenagers in Sunday school class this morning, if, if they do the things they do to try to please the Lord, they've got the, whole, it's, they've got the wrong idea. Because we can't do anything that pleases God. We're sinners. And if it were not for the righteousness of Christ and the grace of God, we would be where we ought to be tonight, and that is in the lake of fire. 
We can't, we can't do anything to please the Lord. The only thing we can do is understand and realize that all we have is by his grace and by his mercy and that we walk worthy of the Lord. When we attempt, when we do the things we do, not to, not to, to so God will be pleased with us, but because God is worthy, then we are walking in the love of Christ. These Pharisees, you know, they, they were probably just in the penalty they were trying to impose. And you know, the Lord, as the righteous judge, uh, he commanded that, that punishment. But you see, the Lord knows our hearts, and he knew their hearts. Is our heart like the heart of those Pharisees tonight? Do we accuse one another, and do we hurl accusations against one another because we are angry or out of hatred or out of strife? Because, you know, if we as a body of believers truly seek to deal with sin in our church, it will be done in love, and it will be done with a spirit of meekness, one that is intent on restoring our fallen brother. That's the message of the Lord tonight. Not that we're to wink at sin, not that we're to look at the other way when wrong is done, but be ever so careful as to why we are trying to bring justice to that, to that, to that sin, that reason we, we choose to, to, to deal with it. Let it be in a spirit of love and with a, with a spirit of restoration. And let us fulfill the law of Christ. Bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I'm sure, Lord, that I didn't do a good job. I'm sure I, I, I didn't get this message across just the way you wanted it to come across. But Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would have worked a miracle in the ears of the people and they would have heard the things you wanted them to hear. Father, help us to love one another as we must. Help us to stop destroying our churches over strife and and over hatred, and over, over bitterness. And help us to build the church the way that you want it to be built, on love, kindness, and compassion. Thank you for all that have come out tonight, and I pray you'd bless this message. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.